We are in the New Testament history book of Acts in chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. Hear now God's word. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he... And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. This is the word of the Lord. I grew up in a family that went to church every Sunday. I didn't grow up in a Christian environment. We felt like when we walked in these churches, when we went to these churches, that we were getting fed, but we felt like there had to be something more. What I found in uh, exploring my faith is he met me where I was. And at that moment, God reached out to me and I decided to reach back to him. I didn't feel like it was any different from the community I was in. Yeah, there were differences, but I could still feel comfortable. I still felt like me. We loved the teaching of NAPC, but we had no idea the community or the people that were part of the church. And the church has just helped us to really get even deeper in our faith, and especially as a family. We have three young kids, and it's allowed all of us to continue that journey to understand. My life has been changed by Jesus through NAPC. My life has been changed by Jesus through NAPC. My life has been changed by Jesus through NAPC. My life has been changed by Jesus through NAPC. My life was changed by Jesus through NAPC. My life was changed by Jesus through NAPC. My life has been changed by Jesus through NAPC. Come and see how yours can be too. pretty cool, isn't it? So we are starting a new series, and for the next two months, we're going to be in this series, Corinth in the first century, New Albany in the 21st, and we are looking at how, um, a a lot of times people think about the church, and it's, you know, they have problems with it, they have like, well, it's so institutionalized, or I I wish we could just get back to the pure church of the first century, and you're going to read 1 Corinthians, and you're going to find that the, the pure church of the first century was not very pure. 
The church has been made up of sinners for as long as the church has been around, and yet the church is called to a great mission out into the world, to make an impact, to um, share the great news of Jesus with the world. And so we are building up to a very important moment in the life of our church when we go into the new building that is being finished that we will walk into and have our grand opening on October 22nd. And that's pretty exciting, isn't it? And so we see this as a beautiful opportunity not to introduce people to a building, but to introduce people to the living God through Jesus Christ. And so we want to give you every tool at your disposal to use to invite other people. And here, here are some of the things that we are doing. We would love for you at the end of this message to grab a yard sign and to put that sucker in your front yard and to have it in there for two months until we actually go into the building. We are sending postcards to every household in the 43054 zip code. And in addition to that, we would love for you to take a couple postcards and just handwrite some addresses for other folks who you know, who you want to invite personally to come to NAPC. We're trying to be out in the community and to get the word out. So in the next couple of months, we are going to, um, our leaders and staff, we're going to go to every uh, New Albany school building and bring like a little gift basket. And we're going to just tell the school um, teachers and the administrators how much we appreciate them and their efforts. We're also going to be knocking on doors. Our staff primarily are going to be knocking on doors around the uh, vicinity of the church building, and we're going to probably begin by saying we are not Mormon, <laughs> but we do want you to come to our church, and then we'll explain kind of who we are. So we're doing a lot of things to try to get the word out, and then you, ha you saw this kind of promo video our communications team has done a phenomenal job in giving us as a church a bunch of resources that we can use to then go out into the world and to just invite people, just to take that step of faith to invite people. And you will see, oh, sorry, I forgot to say, we're also in farmer's markets. And we went to Westerville, we went to New Albany, and it's been very successful. A lot of people have come by, apparently because a lot of people like to play the game Plinko, which is right down here for a prize, and so it's, it's great. And then lastly, we have um, this sign, which is right over there. Want you to visit that sign, I'll talk more about it, but there are some resources there for you as well. And so, very excited for all that we're gonna be doing to get the word out about NAPC, and again, the, the word that we want to get out is ultimately the word about Jesus, amen? amen. So let's pray, and then we'll take a look at uh, Paul planting a church in Corinth. Father, thank you for your love, grace, and mercy. Thank you that you are, uh, you called each one of us and you changed our lives through Jesus. And maybe there's some people here who don't yet know Christ and aren't quite sure what it means to be a Christian. I pray that, uh, that you would draw them to you, that you would make it clear, and that your love for lost people would be abundantly clear. I pray that in the coming weeks and months, you would give us tremendous boldness, that we would not be afraid because there are, there are many people in this city who are yours. And so, Lord, use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want to give a little bit of background on what, uh, what was happening in, in this text in Acts chapter 18. A guy named Paul um, did not write the book of Acts. A guy named Luke wrote the book of Acts, but, but a lot of the book of Acts is about Paul. And Paul was a Christian hater. He persecuted Christians because he believed that Jesus was not who he said he was. And he threw Christians in jail, and he actually was a part of the oversight of the murder of the first Christian martyr, a man named Stephen. And if you want to read about Paul and what God does in his life, read the book of Acts, chapters 8 and 9. But essentially, Paul goes from being a Christian persecutor to being a Christian. And he, the Lord Jesus uh, basically shows up in Paul's life and says, Paul, you got it all wrong. I'm actually Lord of everything. And Paul repents, believes, and he becomes the world's greatest, the greatest missionary in Christian history. And he takes several missionary journeys through the Mediterranean. On his second missionary journey, this is a picture, a map of, of where he goes. So he starts in Jerusalem, and he goes north through Syria, and then through modern-day Turkey, over into Greece, and he's in Athens before he comes to Corinth. And this is a close-up of that left side of the map. You have Athens and then Corinth. And he's in Athens, and he preaches this incredible sermon uh, right before he comes to Corinth. And in this sermon, he's, he's standing in probably the greatest place uh, of, of public discourse in the history of Western civilization. He's in the Areopagus of Athens. This is where all of this tremendous Western philosophy of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle comes to fruition. And then he preaches the gospel and he uses the Old Testament, the New Testament. So we have these two traditions of Western Greek philosophy and the Judeo-Christian faith. And there's this incredible synergy. And that really is the foundation of, of Western society since that time. So it's an incredible moment. And he preaches and what is the result of this great sermon where he ties in, you know, Greek culture and, and wraps it into the gospel? Well, it's, it's pretty modest. Some people mocked him. Some people wanted to hear more, and some believed. And there are only two names of people who believed. And, you know, I have to say that pastors tend to round up when they are talking about numbers, um, there's a session member who just rolled off who was in charge of the finances for a long time, and he, he laughed um, as I said that. I don't know how many people Paul actually saw converted to Christ. It just says some, but it doesn't sound like a whole lot. It was an incredible sermon, and we don't know like what has borne fruit since that time because we're still talking about that sermon 2,000 years later. So from there, he goes to Corinth, and Corinth is just a, it's like 40 miles away, and it's at this very important, it was a port city, and there was lots of like cultural exchange, very cosmopolitan city, lots of things happening there, young culture, lots of changes. And so that's where he goes. And um, when he's there, the first thing that we see in the text here in verses 1 through 3 is the providence of God. And do you know what the providence of God is? It's it's the fact that God has a plan for our lives, that he is working out his eternal purposes no matter what is happening, no matter how bad it seems, if you belong to Christ, God is working out this amazing plan. And, and so that's what's happening here. 
It says, after this, in verse 1, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So you have a couple, Aquila and Priscilla. They have to leave their home because of a persecution that breaks out in Rome. Now, uh, you know that, that the word of God is everything to us as a church. It's the word of God that, that created the world and everything in it. It's the word of God that we build our church upon. And there, there's plenty of evidence that the word of God is, in fact, trustworthy. And one of those evidences is that there are plenty of extra biblical historical sources that point to things that actually take place in the Bible. And one of those sources is a book by a guy named Suetonius who wrote in about 120 AD, and he wrote a book called The Twelve Caesars. And in that book, he describes during Claudius' reign this very thing that happened in 49 to 51 AD, where the Jews were expelled from Rome. And this is what he said about it. He said they were expelled, quote, because of their constant disturbances at the instigation of Crestus. You know who Crestus is? It's Christ. It's Christ. He's, he's referencing Jesus. And he's saying that in Rome, these Jews, they were, it was basically an intramural dispute. They were fighting with each other about who Jesus was, which is very consistent with what it says in the Bible and what it says in Acts chapter 18. And so Claudius eventually kicks all of the Jews out. And imagine if you had to leave your home because of some kind of persecution. There are some, my, in my um, family's history, that happened um, during the World War II era in, in Eastern Europe. Maybe that is part of your family's history. Maybe that's part of your personal history. It would be incredibly difficult to have to leave your home because of persecution. And that's what happens to Aquila and Priscilla. And yet, God is at work in their lives. They, they go to Corinth and they meet Paul, and it says that uh, he went to see them because he was of the same trade, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. That means they were in the same industry. They, they made tents together, and Paul did that as he was bivocational. That was how he earned his income, along with support from churches, and, and so they became friends, and what's interesting about this is that Paul, or sorry, Aquila and Priscilla, they actually become instrumental in the life of the early church. They're mentioned seven more times in the New Testament. And they're mentioned later in Acts chapter 18. There's a guy named Apollos, who's a great teacher, who just doesn't understand the fullness of the gospel. And they pull him aside and teach him what the gospel actually is. And then Apollos becomes this leader in the early church. So, you know, they didn't want to be kicked out of their home, I'm sure. But when they were... God was working in and through it to bring about a greater purpose for their life. And that happens in our lives, doesn't it? I mean, um, some of you, you've been through a terrible breakup one point or another, and that led to you meeting your future husband or wife. You, you may have gotten let go from a job, and then that led you to take a risk in one way or another or, or join in with a new venture. And and you are now in a, in a much better place than you were. You've, some have, have made huge mistakes, massive moral blunders that brought you 
to rock bottom, which led to repentance and faith and a brand new beginning. You you go through a, a painful conflict that leads to greater toughness and the ability to handle more adversity. There's a man in our church who... He, um, years ago, jumped into a new business venture, and by his own admission, he jumped in without really doing his due diligence, and he got into a very difficult and ugly situation. And the, the, the company did not, it, it floundered, and his relationship with the co-owner just rapidly dissolved. And, and at one point, he, was, he just said, God, I, I, this isn't working, and I, I want... I want to do what pleases you, and I want to start something that's going to honor you. And so he took a risk, and he started this new venture because the current one was, was terrible. And years later, he has this thriving company where he has built it on Christian principles and where he employs people, and you know he's, he's able to shine the light of Christ in what he does. So God providentially does these things all the time. And I'm not saying that every single thing that happens in our lives that is tragic can easily be one-to-one, you know, pointed out that, oh, God was doing this and it's so much better now. That that often doesn't happen that way. And there are things that happen in our lives that we will never be able to tell why it happened until we stand before Jesus. But the truth is, God's providence is working its way through all of our lives and in the life of our church. Amen? Amen. Did you know that we are actually going to turn 25 as a church next year? Did you know that? 25 years, quarter century, started in 1999. Few families said we want to start a church. And the first few years, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of like changes in leadership. And and there was one point where it looked like the whole thing was going to shut down and there were only about 20 or 30 people left and they had a meeting and a couple people stood up and said, we don't think that God is done with us yet. And then this other church, Worthington Presbyterian, that had a lot of staff, they said, we'll help you and we'll send a pastor over to lead worship and we'll give you some time to figure things out. And things started to turn around and started to grow slowly but surely. And and went through a a capital campaign. Have you ever heard of a capital campaign, church? Have you ever been through one? Just curious. So capital campaign, and things look good on the outside. We're building this building right across from Oakland Nursery, but internally, a tremendous amount of conflict in that time. And do you know what the conflict was over? It was over whether we would stand by the word of God or not. And so we had this belief statement that the elders unanimously supported And it was very simple. We believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And there were a lot of people who did not say amen to that. And they had a problem with that for various reasons. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of rancor and and conflict. And, you know, on the outside looked great. We got in the building. Then uh, somewhere around 50 people left as a result of that. And yet the Lord brought more people and we kept growing and things kept happening. And, and, and then we continued to, to build our church on the word of God. And we saw that the, the, the denomination that we were a part of, the collection of churches we were a part of, was going the opposite direction, going far afield from the word of God. And so the elders noticed that and started trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to stay? Or are we going to go? And we, we unanimously as elders recommended to the congregation that we leave the denomination. And the congregation responded in a vote, 85% said, yes, this is the right direction. We need to go because we're basing our church on the word of God and this denomination is not. 
And so we went through the process and we were fairly confident that, you know, we would, we would have to we would have to give up some, some money, but that we would keep our property because no other church in our entire presbytery, in the history of the presbytery that we were part of, which is 120 churches or so, had ever lost their property until we lost our property. And that was, that was rough. Uh, it, it was a very, it was a difficult time, but we, you know, we had this one worship service where we, it, we announced that to the congregation and there were a lot of people there, and we worshipped, and we signed this charter that said, we are going wherever the Lord leads us, and it was worth it, amen? I mean, it's worth it to follow the Word of God. So we came in here, and then six months later, this little thing called COVID happened, and that was kind of hard. And we have persevered, and the Lord has provided over and over and over. And here we are, two months away from leaving our old home and entering into our new home, and the building is situated on a, an even better um, like location, and it's over twice as big as the other building was. And we are going to have all kinds of opportunities to impact and influence the community and the city and the world. Amen? So God is providentially at work. Y'all, this is something to be excited about, right? I saw one person do a golf clap. I, I really, I, I need a little more from you. Can we get an amen? Can we get a, thank you. Yes. Because God is at work providentially, and that's exciting. And Paul uh, is, is ready then, this providential meeting with Aquila and Priscilla, to go into the work of persuasion, persuading people to come to Christ. I want you to know that we can never compel anyone to believe anything. We can't make anybody believe anything, but we can persuade people. We can winsomely invite them into understanding who Jesus is, and that is what Paul does boldly. It says in verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. He tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Silas and Timothy come to aid him. These are two of his guys who he's kind of mentored. One's a friend. One is kind of a mentoree, Timothy. It says, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. In other words, that Jesus was the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. But there are some Jews that oppose and revile him. And so then he says something that sounds very harsh. It says, he shook out his garments, which is a, a symbolic, like, I'm done with you. And, and he says, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And this, by the way, is a huge shift in the mission of the early church. It was primarily about Jews that shifts to Jews and Gentiles both. So what is he saying here? Well, he's quoting an Old Testament passage. A prophet named Ezekiel is, is talking with God. And God says this to him about the message that he must boldly bring to the Jewish people. And this is what God says in Ezekiel 33. Then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes away any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Ezekiel was a watchman. Paul was a watchman. I'm a watchman. 
But guess what else? You are a watchman. Every single Christian carries the message of the gospel to wherever you are, to your neighborhood, to your family, to your friends, to your workplace. Every one of you. We are watchmen and watchwomen. And we have a message. And the message is this. God loves people, created us in his image. We have turned away from God. God sent Jesus to rescue us. We must repent and believe in order to receive eternal life. That's the message, amen? It's very simple. It's four, thi- four points. A child of, of four can learn it. And yet, a, a, a brilliant philosopher of 60 years old can, can understand it and, and cannot actually overcome it or dispute it or disprove it. It's the gospel. And we carry that message and we are called and commanded to persuade people to believe it. And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, your blood is not on my hands. I explain this to you. Jesus is, in fact, Lord. He will not be trifled with. He is not to be rejected. He cannot be co-opted into part of your life, like this little portion over here. No, he must become your entire life, the foundation of your life. He is everything. You cannot dabble in Christ. He's everything, or he's nothing. And so... That is the urgency, that was the urgency in Ezekiel's day, the urgency in Paul's day, and the urgency in our day, and you and I are called and commanded to get the word out. Now, Paul goes next door, and he keeps preaching, and a Greek named Titius comes to Christ, but then the synagogue ruler, who's also Jewish, comes to Christ, and his whole household is baptized, and he keeps going, and we are called and commanded to keep going as well. And so I want to I want to let you know about this great this great um, kind of promotion that we're trying to do and, and these these things that we're trying to give to you so that you can easily get the word out and uh, you know I mentioned this um, this little sign over here that says lives changed underneath it there are little cards that look like this and they have one story of somebody whose life has been changed that was in the video. And you can pass these out on the back of it. It has the, op- the grand opening information, our website. And they can hit this QR code. And then they can watch a testimony. Every week there's going to be a new one. And this week, Mike Glick's story is going to be shared. So please, when you leave here, pick up some of these cards. And then go hand them out. And let people see for themselves what Jesus has done in the life of one man in our church. And then every week we'll have a subsequent story. And, and you can invite people. It, this is a, a very uh, low, like it, it's, it's high invitation, low challenge. And people can see for themselves. Now, maybe you're going to invite somebody and they won't come to church. I mean, hopefully if we're sowing broadly, there will be some who say no, right? We don't want people to say no, but we want to sow broadly. And, and if they don't want to come to church, you can say, well, Thursday night before we open, we're having a huge party. We're having live music. We're having food trucks and drinks and cornhole and bounce houses and all kinds of fun stuff. And maybe they'll go to that party and they'll talk to us and they'll say, man, these are really amazing people. 
I want to come and hang out with him on Sunday morning because of just how amazing you all are. Who knows? But we're called and commanded to sow broadly. So you who are students, you have an opportunity to share this great news with other people. You students, are you willing to do this? I'm looking at you. Yes? Can I get a nod? I'm getting nothing. Okay, a couple nods. Good, good. All right. You who are not students, can I get a nod? Are you going to, let's, let's, together, these next seven, eight weeks, let's, let's go after it hard and let's practice what Paul did, and that is perseverance. Paul practices perseverance. Uh, in, in verse 9, it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. Question for you. Uh, when do people need to be told, do not be afraid? When they're afraid. Somebody said always. Um, I don't think always. But when we're afraid, we need to hear, do not be afraid. Uh, some of you have little kids in your house. And you don't sleep all that much, maybe. Because um, your kids are waking you up and they're, you know, they're coming to your room. Now, if you, let's say you have a little three-year-old, Johnny, and he's fast asleep. He just happens to be asleep tonight. And it's 11 o'clock at night. And you look into his room and you see him. He's zonked out. Do you go up to him, shake him, and wake him up and say, hey, Johnny, don't be afraid. No, he's not afraid. He's sleeping. You don't need to do that. But if he comes into your room screaming and you're asleep at 1 a.m. and he wakes you up and in your stupor he's like, oh, I've had a bad dream. What do you do? Well, when you're your best self, you very patiently get up and get out of bed and you grab his little hand and you walk him to the bathroom and get him a glass of water and then you put him in his bed and you tuck him in and what do you say? Don't be afraid. You're safe. God's with you. The great Paul, we can presume, was scared. He was afraid and he needed to hear encouragement and so God gives him tremendous encouragement he gives him three different promises the first thing he says in verse 10 is I am with you do you know that God is with you no matter where you go he's with you he loves you he is not angry with you you are his very son his very daughter and he loves you and just like it says in Psalm 23, you might walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't need to fear evil because he's with you. That's a great promise. Amen. Amen. And then he says, no one will attack you to harm you. This is a promise that God gives to Paul that while he's in Corinth, no one is going to physically attack him. That's a lot better than he's done so far. He's been beaten. He's been beaten with rods. He's been stoned. He's, he's been left for dead outside the city. This is a major upgrade for Paul. Like, I'm, I'm going to make sure nobody touches you while you're in Corinth. What a great gift. And, for, and so for a year and a half, he continues the work. And here's the last promise. And this is a beautiful promise. I have many in this city who are my people. There are many in this city of Corinth that were his, God's people, and he was going to save them. How? Through the message being preached, God has many people in this city in the 21st century who are his people. There are people in New Albany, 
and in Blacklick and in Gehanna and in Westerville and in Linden, they need to hear the message. We do not save anyone, but God uses means. And what are the means that he uses? Well, most of the time, it's the means of people like you and me who are willing to go, who are willing to share, who are willing to take a couple cards and pass those cards out. Because there are many people in this city who belong to him. What is the number one reason why you and I fail to do this sometimes? What is it? It's, it's we're afraid. We're afraid of standing out. We're afraid of looking weird. We're afraid of offending. We're afraid of people thinking that we're a Jesus freak or whatever. Don't be afraid. God is with you. And, you know, you're not going to come to physical harm. You really won't. And there are many in the city who are his people, and they just need someone to reach out to them. God, make no mistake, God will rescue them. But I want you to know that there is no greater joy in this world than when you are part of someone coming to faith in Christ. There are many people in this city. So I want you to think over the next uh, two months about your own mission field, about the people in your life who God has placed in your life who you can reach out to. Whether you are young or old or anywhere in between, we are called to go out into the world and to share this. And, and one last thing I will say that you can do, and that is you can put the things that I'm talking about, the cards and the testimonies, on your social channels, on Facebook and Instagram. Maybe you're not on there. If you're not, praise God, don't get on there. But if you are on there, there's a lot of people on there. Share it. That takes some courage to stand for Christ in this like kind of public square that is the internet, so weird. But you, you can do that. Go to our channels and just share it to your story or share it to your page, and that will get the word out as well. You and I are called to not be afraid, and Paul heard this from the Lord. And at the end of his ministry, and make no mistake, he did endure physical pain. He was actually beheaded for his faith. And right before he was beheaded, he wrote a letter to Timothy, the guy who shows up here in Acts 18. And what he said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7 is, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-control. Power, the power to go out and to share the gospel. Love, the, the love that compels you because you want people to know him. And the self-control, the discipline to actually plan it and pray it and do it. We're called to do that, amen? Let's go, let's get after it, and let's do it over these next two months. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that there are people in the world who actually made the effort and took the risk to reach out to us. Maybe for some of us, it's families we grew up in. Maybe for others, it's friends or some missionary through FCA or Young Life or through the church or, or some other venue. We're thankful, Lord, that you, however you have drawn us to yourself, thank you for doing so. And now we pray, Lord, that you would put on our minds and hearts a handful of people that we can pray for over the next two months and then reach out to. Silently, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us and to put uh, people on our hearts and minds right now as we pray.
Lord, do a work. Do an amazing work here in this city. We know there are many who are your people. We don't know who they are, but give us boldness and joy. And hear us now, Father, as we pray according to how Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.